Hello, everyone. Welcome back to my podcast, See the Invisible, Living with an Invisible or Rare Disease. My name is Rhonda Jefferson, and thank you so much for taking some time out to listen to me today. I also want to apologize that I've not uploaded a new episode in the past about week or week and a half. I had my infusion last Tuesday, and normally it wears me out for about a day, but then I can bounce back. For some reason, this last one just really wore me out for days at a time, and I did try at one point to record, but it was just very difficult, so I do apologize. I'd really love to know what everybody is doing this upcoming week, um, you know, through this holiday week and also through the new year. I know my son wants to bake cookies. It's kind of harder for me to do that now as compared to, say, a year ago, but I still enjoy it. Um, what I know now, though, is I have to pace myself. So, you know, literally um, measuring out the flour for the cookies and then taking a break, um, things like that. So, yes, it probably takes three to four times longer, but it's worth it when I see my kids smile. But on the other hand, too, they finish the cookies very quickly. So it's like it takes me 10 times longer to make the cookies than for them to eat it. Um, But I am making a plan to try to freeze some of the dough so that next time they want something, it's easier to get to. So I hope everybody else has, you know, something fun that they're trying to do with the family that they're with this holiday season. I also want to apologize if you hear slamming and running I have asked my kids to, you know, be quiet. Um, I usually try to record late at night when they're in bed, but um, I didn't have a chance to do that. So I'm recording now in the middle of the day. They are doing schooling from home, but their teachers for today have just given them work to do instead of, you know, in-class Zooms. So they are running around. I've heard a refrigerator door slam a few times in the past couple of minutes. So if you hear anything like that, it's the kids um, being kids. If you've not listened to my last episode, um, what we were talking about is insurance. And I know that's not the funnest topic, but in order to be our own best advocate in our health and healthcare, we need to know some information. So what I'm going to do is pick up from there. If you haven't listened to the last podcast, you may want to go back and listen for some of the key terms such as deductible, um, coinsurance, out-of-pocket costs, things like that. What I'll be picking up with today are the different types of insurance and what the main differences are or, or also some of the similarities. So I know this is not the you know, the easiest topic in the world. It can get quite boring, but when it comes to addressing your needs in healthcare, it's really important that you have this information. And finally, just to provide a disclaimer, I am not a medical expert, insurance expert, or legal expert. Everybody's situation is different, so I I really encourage you to look at your own insurance plans, contact the provider, if you have any questions and just make sure you know what you need whenever you have to go to a specialist or have tests done so that you don't get a surprise bill a couple of months later. So the main insurance types 
or plans are PPOs, HMOs, POSs, and EPOs. Probably most of us have heard the terms PPO and HMO, but some of the other types we may not be as familiar with, those are really just hybrids of the PPOs and HMOs with some differences. Where I'm getting most of the information is from insurance.com with a little bit of information from verywellhealth.com. Whatever sources I use, I will notate or link in the description of my podcast. What a PPO is, is a preferred provider organization. In these types of plans, usually the premium is higher than in an HMO, but there's a lot of flexibility. And personally, this is what I have, so I you know, can attest that sometimes the premiums do seem higher, but at the same time, if I need to go to a specialist, I don't need a referral. I would still need a pre-authorization on some things, um, such as testing. That's not a normal part of the routine annual exam or maintenance um, or preventative care. Um, For example, I had fallen a few times in a short period of time, so my doctor wanted to do a CAT scan. She had to get a pre-authorization, which unfortunately they did not authorize. So if I had decided to have that done, I would have been solely responsible for the cost. Now, most employers do use the PPOs. In fact, it's 47% um, based on the information from insurance.com. Now, in terms of, say, if individuals were going to get their own insurance plan, so whether it's because they own a small business or they don't have insurance through their employer, only about 16% are when it's purchased by an individual. So that's a big difference, but that's with the higher cost, though, for the premium, it's you know very hard for the individual to pay the whole amount. So when you have it through the employer, and usually the employers pay a percentage, that's why we see it more with employer-based insurance. Now, some of the positives or pros, um, according to insurance.com, are you do have a larger network of people and providers. You can go out of network. It may cost you more, but it does allow you to do that, and you do not need the referral. The cons of it are it's a higher premium and higher deductible. So in other words, it's a higher cost overall. And that, of course, is a very big con for most people. Now, you don't have to select a primary care physician. So if for some reason you want to change primary care physicians, you don't have to notify the insurance provider. So again, there is that flexibility, and there's usually a larger network that you can choose from. So if you know it's your primary or even a specialist that you may see, you have more people that you can normally choose from. Now, the Kaiser Family Foundation did look at the annual deductibles for a PPO, and that is on average for an individual $1,204. And then at that point, that's when coinsurance begins. So just meeting the $1,200 or whatever the individual cost is for you um, as a deductible, once you reach that, then a coinsurance can begin, which is usually a percentage or copay for a certain time period or amount after you've met your deductible. So for example, if you have a 1500 deductible, 
but a $3,000 out of pocket for the year, once you hit that $1,500 deductible, then for the next, and if you have a 20% coinsurance, what that means is you would be paying 20%, the insurance would be paying 80% until the total amount that you've paid is 3000 That's what you've individually paid, not including what the insurance has. So depending on what your individual needs are, you may or may not meet that maximum out of pocket for the year. If you do have multiple people on your plan, so if your spouse or children or both are on there, then your deductible is normally higher as well as your out-of-pocket costs. Unfortunately, if we are getting the insurance through our employer, we probably have very little say in which plan they choose. If they are paying a portion of the premium, then of course they're looking at the cost to them as well. So you know, this is why um, most people believe that many employers choose the PPO. Now, an HMO is a health maintenance organization, and only about 13% of employers use this health plan, but overall, it's about half of all insurance plans in the marketplace. It has lower premiums, so you know, that's always a positive, but you have fewer doctors and hospitals that you can go to. Um, so you sacrifice some flexibility so that you can pay a lower premium or have a lower deductibles or even no deductible in some cases. So the pros overall are lower premiums and lower cost than a PPO. The cons are that you need to stay in the network and you need a referral to see a specialist. You have to also choose your primary care physician. So they are in charge of coordinating all your care. So even if you say you've hurt your ankle and you know that you really need to see an orthopedist, you have to go to your primary care physician before you can go to the orthopedist. He or she would have to provide a referral to you. While traditionally the deductible has been lower with HMOs, over the past few years it has been noted that the deductible amount has been increasing and the actual average deductible for an individual plan in a recent survey was $1,201. So that's really right on par with a PPO. So, you know, some of that flexibility, if you really need that, the PPO does offer it. Um, as far as the average goes, it's only $3 more for the PPO. So you really have to decide what's best for you, as well as what plan you're either offered through your employer or if you're buying it on your own, which works best for you. Um, just looking at the fact that the HMO deductibles have been increasing, it's something you may want to keep an eye on um, if you're buying it or purchasing the insurance yourself so that you have an idea of the direction that it's going. Now, the HMOs also don't normally let you go outside of your network, um, and unless, of course, it is an emergency. Um, so if you're on vacation and there's a hospital out of your network, but you've been injured, then, you know, of course you could go there. Not every provider will accept the, the HMO coverage. So if you are in a position where you're, you're choosing a physician or a specialist, make sure you check that they are in your network before you, you actually go see them. Now, within these plans, you may hear terms called HDHP. 
that stands for high deductible health plan. That can really be in either the PPO or HMO. Um, 31% of workers have a high deductible health plan. And again, I'm getting this information from insurance.com. And so, you know, of course, employers want to try to find a way to mitigate costs, you know, especially if they're larger and they're, they want to find employers, of course, need to find a way to mitigate costs. And whether you're a small or a large company, the cost of providing a percentage of your employees' health care um, costs or premiums, it's quite substantial. So in order to help mitigate the amounts they pay in premiums, an employer might decide to go with an HDHP. Now, if you're using the insurance marketplace or Obamacare as it's... Um, now, if you're using the insurance marketplace, which is used with the affordable, if you're using the insurance marketplace, which is used with the Affordable Care Act, then it's usually known as a bronze or silver plan. Um, when you have an HDHP, I know when I've looked at it myself to see what coverages might be best, they're actually pretty on par in the amounts of deductibles and coinsurance as I have through my employer. But you know, looking at the restrictions, it has more restrictions than what I currently have. So along with you know any type of insurance, and again, this is not a type of insurance, it's actually something that's integrated within your insurance. The pros of it is you have a lower premium and usually an employer will contribute to a health savings account to help offset some of the high deductible cost for you. But then of course the cons is the high deductible. And depending on you know, your individual needs, that high deductible can have a big impact on you every year. Um, the average deductible um, within the HDHP plans is around $2,300 and many can exceed $3,000. Um, as I mentioned previously, some of that can also depend on whether or not you have an individual plan or if your family's on the plan, but still that's pretty high. And then of course, when you count out of pocket costs, you know, so once you've met your deductible, if you have to pay any type of coinsurance up to a certain point, that can be up to 7,000 for an individual or 14,000 for a family. So if you you have someone or even multiple people in your family that you know, maybe have a chronic illness and they need to see the doctor frequently or have treatments, then odds are you may either meet or almost meet your out-of-pocket cost each year. And that's a substantial amount. So even if you know, you're making a good base salary, if you take into account that you have a $14,000 out of pocket for your family plan, plus you're paying taxes, that really cuts into what you actually bring home and can use. So it's something definitely you want to take a look at and understand thoroughly um, if you're looking at certain types of health care. Now, I know with one of the procedures that I have done on a regular basis, I have been able to work something out with the um the organization or the the company that actually makes the pharmaceuticals and they offer a very good assistance program and that's one of the nice things you know is having that assistance program on the other hand too though I 
just personally look at it as if they can offer an assistance program and decrease the amount that I have to pay for the treatment, why can't they do that just off the bat with everybody? The cost might be just slightly higher for everybody, but it would take away the stress that people have when they hear, okay, you're going to have a treatment that costs $6,000 per treatment. And overall, I think it would be more beneficial for a lot of people. Um, if you have Medicare, there's something that people call the donut hole. That's where you, know, you, you meet a point in your cost of um, prescriptions where, okay, you didn't have to pay for a certain amount at the beginning, and then you're going to meet a certain amount where they kick back in, but for a period of time in the middle, you have to pay for everything. And a lot of times these assistance programs don't offer it if you have a Medicare or Medicaid um, insurance. So again, something that it's really hard if you have some of those treatments that cost a lot of money. So those are usually um, the HMO and the PPO are the two main types and usually fall into a high deductible health plan. Now, after those two main plans, there are a couple of plans that are almost like a hybrid. The first hybrid program I'm going to discuss is a POS. That stands for a point of service plan. This only makes up less than 10% of all health plans. So what it does is, so in this plan, you actually would get to choose whether or not you use HMO or PPO services um, each time that you see a provider. So a pro of this is you don't need referrals because you're using the PPO type of plan. Um, you can go out of your network for care. So again, that's an advantage of the PPO. The cons are you need to file a claim if you go out of network. So depending on what you're going out of network for, that's an additional step that you have to use when you're trying to get the care. So. I know personally, a lot of my providers, they want to know that they're being paid up front. So if I'm going in for a treatment, for a procedure, I need to have that approved before they will even do that. So if you're in a situation where you have to file a if you're in a situation where you have to file a claim, if you go out of network, that could be a problem with a POS. Um, also. Also, they do tend to have higher deductibles than even a PPO or HMO. So that's probably why it only accounts for about 9%. Other main points to a POS is you do have to have a primary care provider. Um, so unlike a PPO where you have that flexibility, in this case, you would have to have a primary care provider. Um, and you do have to keep receipts, you have to do record, you have to keep records and you have to fill out a lot of forms. Now, the last type of insurance I'm going to discuss is an EPO, and that stands for Exclusive Provider Organization. This is a type of managed care plan, and you do have to go to doctors and network. One of the similarities to a PPO is you do not need a referral, but the cons are needing to stay within that network and having a limited network. So, I know for a lot of people that would be, you know, those two different things would be kind of difficult. I know that I like having a larger network that I can choose from. So this is very limited in an EPO. 
And again, um, like an HMO, you cannot use an out-of-network doctor unless it's an emergency care situation. So really, this plan is for someone who would probably just need to see the doctor occasionally, um, and you know, doesn't really have a lot of major health concerns, so is overall pretty healthy. So the Kaiser Family Foundation did put together a very nice grid or listing of the different types of insurances and some of their key differences. Um, it's the Kaiser Family Foundation 2020 Employer Health Benefit Survey, and you know the, the main resource today has been insurance.com, and it's on there. And it gives a breakdown of what the average premium is for an individual, the average deductible, whether or not you need a referral, and whether it offers out-of-network care. So, you know, it's handy to have. However, if you're getting your insurance through your employer, you may not have a choice of which plan to choose from. So, this type of this type of table really just helps you understand at a quick glance what your insurance offers. So, just a real quick highlight on the differences. Um, those that need referrals are HMOs and sometimes a high deductible health plan. It depends on if it falls in with the HMO. Um, those that offer out-of-network care are PPOs, even though you may have to pay a little bit more, and POS plans, which, again, you may have to pay a little bit more for. So um, for me, you know, I really like the ability not to have a referral, so the PPO is nice. Um, and at this point in time, the average premium and average deductibles are inching closer and closer together with HMOs and PPOs. So it's really going to be interesting to keep an eye on that over the next couple years. But then again, you know, we have some changes that may be taking place over the next few years with healthcare, healthcare service. So even things such as masks, um, sanitation equipment, gloves, all of those things cost money. And when a company that's producing pharmaceuticals, producing a testing machine like an MRI, if they work at a rate where their CEOs are making hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, now, this is really most of my personal opinion. You know, I think everybody deserves and needs health care. I don't think it's something that should be denied someone. The problem with reforming health care is I believe it's not reforming the insurance per se. It's starting at the top. It's starting at the entities that charge an arm and a leg for basic health care needs and I'm not talking individually about doctors um, and even hospitals because they have to offset their cost. They have to pay malpractice insurance. Doctors have to pay back their student loans. The same with nurses. They have to pay back the student loans and they are the backbone of the healthcare industry. So everybody working whether it's in a hospital or another type of healthcare service provider, you know, such as satellite offices and things like that, 
they support the healthcare system. They do the work day in and day out. They take care of their patients and know their patients. Um, and looking even at a hospital standpoint, they have to make sure they're making enough money to maintain the building. So everybody who works in the hospital, the maintenance staff, the housekeeping staff, food services, they are the ones providing the health care. It may not be direct health care, but they're the ones who really take care of their patients. And I think that anyone who works in any type of those settings deserves you know, to have a fair and adequate pay, that they're not worrying about paycheck to paycheck because they are quite literally saving lives. It's when we get into those that provide things such as equipment or medical testing facilities, um, those that develop the pharmaceuticals, so the very big pharmaceutical companies. I have a medication that has been around for well over 25 years. Just a few years ago when I started having the treatments, it was about $4,000 every time I went. Just last year, it was over 6000 And the reason that they offered as an excuse was that the hurricane in Puerto Rico destroyed the facility that makes the saline bags that they use to mix the product. Yeah. So um, that's why it went up to around 6000 Um I take that with a grain of salt because, honestly, I, I really don't see that. But that's what they're saying. So these CEOs, whether it is pharmaceutical, whether it's, you know, those that make the MRI, um, medical equipment, things like that, a lot of times their CEOs take a lot of money or make a lot of money. And again, when it comes down to providing those services at a base level at a hospital, at a satellite office, the hospitals have to make the money back. And if they're paying millions and millions of dollars for a machine, they have to pay for maintenance for it, they have to pay for the facility that houses the equipment, and for those to operate the equipment, it costs a lot of money. And that's reflected in the healthcare cost that we as the patients see. So I understand that sometimes then hospitals may have to charge even more because not everybody can afford that and they may default on their payment. And I'm not in any way trying to talk negatively about someone who cannot pay the payment because I've been there. You know, when you get a bill for $1,500 and you've been paying insurance, you look at it and you think, how can I do this? How can I pay this? So sometimes hospitals are in situations where, okay, in order to offset the cost of you know those bills that cannot be paid, the cost overall is raised a little bit. So I really think if we're going to have a true healthcare reform, we have to start at the top. Start looking at the big companies who, you know, make a ton of money by producing a piece of equipment or by producing a medication that yes, I know is life-saving, but the cost that's passed on to the patient should not be so exorbitant as to make it 
where they cannot even afford the medication. If no one can afford the medication, what's the purpose of having it? It's going to be this endless cycle where the manufacturer says, well, no one's using this medication. We have to then increase the amount that we charge those who are actually using it until they get to a point that they can't afford it. So it's an endless cycle, whether we're talking about medication or again, equipment. Sometimes it's even lab services that are offsite of a hospital. So there's so many things that really go into healthcare reform. And I don't think it starts at an insurance level. I think we really need to look at where it begins. The doctors, nurses, CNAs, anyone who works within the healthcare facilities, they are impacted by the costs that these other companies charge. They may want to treat a patient in a certain way, but they know that insurance won't cover it because of the cost. Well, why is the cost so high? It's because either the equipment costs a lot, um, the medication or testing laboratories cost a lot. So in the long run, in many ways, it actually ends up costing more. I've been in situations myself where if, you know, when I initially saw a doctor and had a test run or, you know, had a procedure done more quickly, the overall cost would have been less because I wouldn't have needed as much follow-up. Um, for example, the medication that I take with a treatment that's around $6,000 each time, it took a couple of years to get that approved. In the meantime, I was taking a very low-cost medication, but the side effects were horrible. Um, swelling, um, cataracts, possibly it could cause cancer, which it hasn't, thankfully. But for two years, they you know, paid for the lower medication, and eventually they did have to approve the higher one. At the time, it was about $4,000 a treatment, not six yet. And after all was said and done, I needed to have cataract surgery. I paid to have um, a multifocal lens put in because my specialist said she thought that was a good option for me that I needed to have that done, but I had to pay for that out of my own pocket. I've had to have follow-ups to have scar tissue removed and may have to have that done again. And a few times again throughout my life, um, the doctor had told me that the younger you are when you have the cataracts removed, the faster the scar tissue sets in. And I was only around 40. So he said it's going to come back very quickly. So overall, okay, they only paid for lower cost medication for about two or three years, but that also means I have long lasting, have a long lasting impact to my site and they've had to pay for surgeries. So that's just my opinion on this. Um, I know if someone's in a different circumstance, you may have a different view on that, um, but that's just how I feel with it and that I think would make things more equitable to everybody. Now, lastly, I just wanted to mention everything that's going on with COVID. Um, I know it's exciting that we have a vaccine. Um, make sure you discuss that with your doctor, though. Um, I know I'm concerned because one of the vaccines seems to be causing many reactions, and I am allergic to a number of different medications. 
So I have an appointment with my doctor actually the last day of the year. And that's something I'm definitely going to bring up to her. Um, I don't want to do anything without running it past her. Um, make sure nothing would, you know, interact with the medications that I'm on. Be careful. I know the holidays, we really want to spend time with family. In my family, for the first time in 37 years, we're not having breakfast at my sister's house. So that is going to be very, very strange because it's the first thing we did when we got up. We might have opened some presents, but then we went to my sister's. So yeah, it's going to take some getting used to. But we also know it's for the best to try to keep everybody safe. So if you are traveling, please be sure to you know, follow all protocols. Make sure you have a few different masks and that you wash them. Um, I know that it's so easy just to keep reusing the same mask over and over again. You know, keep it on the um, seat of your car um, or in your bag, but they really do need to be washed. And hand sanitizer, hand wipes, whatever you have available, make sure you have them with you. And I hope everybody has a safe holiday. If you're traveling, again, stay safe, be vigilant, and I will talk to you soon. If you want to email me any questions or observations or thoughts, things that you want me to change, things that you like, my email address is cvinvisible2020 at gmail.com. Um, I also do have my website up. It's also cvinvisible2020.com. Um, I am working on starting the blog and getting that um, you're getting that finished on a more regular basis, so you can visit there or my Facebook page, which is called See the Invisible. Everybody have a great week, great holiday. Enjoy spending time with the family that you do have around, and I'll talk to you soon.